in the high desert in the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell. Slamming into your radio like a supercharged nanoparticle of unobtainium. My name is George Van. I'm Richard Serrett. This is Connie Willis. I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast Day. It's great to be here. Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are two brothers who analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show known as Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and I'm the guy that listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris, and boy, am I ready for another great episode of Coast to Coast PM for our Coasternauts, Paul. Me as well, Chris, although we do have a bit of sad news to share with the audience. So y'all may or may not have seen, but uh, guest host Ian Punnett died on December 22nd, 2023, which uh, I think both of us were very sad to see. It's a it's a real shame. You know, Some I think some of my favorite episodes were the Ian episodes. I mean, we kicked off the whole show with an Ian episode. Yeah, we kicked it off with Jason the Horse, which is Ian's yeah. boy. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, man. I love Ian. He was probably one of my, probably my favorite guest host. I think I like him even more than George Knapp. So I'm really sad to see it. He's great at his job. He'd been on coast on and off since 1998. Wow, dude. So he's so, been here for a long time. Yeah. He's been, he's been doing it for a long time. Dude had a, a master's of a divinity, a PhD in journalism, and he taught at, kansas state university as a as a professor too in journalism so overall cool dude did a lot um and crushed the radio so we're going to do an ian punnett episode from october 19th 2019 with peter lavinda about how hp lovecraft actually got a lot of stuff right because i thought that would be kind of a a fun uh fun thing to do in memory of ian thanks ian for all the uh good lessons man he was he was the man Well, Chris, um, enough sad stuff, because this is going to be a fun episode in honor of Ian. Want to get to some fun Coast to Coast AM blog with uh, our good boy, Tim Bonal? Tim time. I'm I'm thrown off right now with the the sadness from this, but we're going to make it through. All right. So today's article, a Sparamancer reveals 2024 forecast. Paul, what is an Sparamancer? Oh, you're about to find out, Chris. Okay. From the article, a popular British psychic medium who uses asparagus to forecast the future has revealed her predictions for 2024. Affectionately known as the Asparamancer, Jemima Packington's process involves tossing a bundle of vegetables into the air and then divining forthcoming events by observing how they land. I was really hoping that we were going to see some kind of new take on being a necromancer or a, uh, you know, a seer into the future. But it really just seems as if she's taken reading bones and it's just like, well, I can just do with any kind of vegetable. That's what casting lots was, right? Where you did that like with sticks. Yeah. Yeah, it would be cooler if she was actually communicating with the asparagus, like the souls of the asparagus yes. were telling her things. I was hoping that they were going to still be on the plant. And so it was going to be a much more like I'm sensing the vibrations of the plant coming to me. That could be cool as well. I think that would be an interesting uh, improvement on veganism, where if you yes. eat enough plants, you can talk to them. Yes. Yeah, so you gain every plant you eat, you gain a little of the power from the plant. Plus one plant power. Her unique technique has made her something of a celebrity in England, and she has been credited with predicting both the election of Donald Trump in 2016, as well as the passing of Queen Elizabeth in 2022. She could have done really well on the betting markets. Honestly, she could have made a little bit of money. I wonder if she is. I mean, how else do you become famous as the asparagmancer? Are you allowed to bet on when world leaders die? I feel like that could get you in trouble. Has You have to be able to. You have to be able to. That's got to get you be, on a list. There's got to be some kind of betting market for it, for sure. Yeah, I found a lot of weird betting markets that are technically legal, which is kind of fun. That's what so. I'm saying. Anything that you can bet on is being bet on currently. Yeah. 
With another new year upon us, Packington recently performed the annual asparagus toss and has issued her forecast for 2024. She only does one asparagus toss a year. Yeah, I mean, listen, you can't overdo the asparagus toss or it's going to lose its value. Right, right. So you get one toss and you can divine all these different questions from the way one bunch of asparagus is tossed. See, and that's she knows she knows how to to build this up, right? Because yeah. it's the same thing that they did with um, a New Hope, Star Wars four. You know how many times you saw the lightsaber, Chris? Three scenes. Lightsaber was right. only in three scenes because they were they were savoring it. You know they're making right. it wait. You knew it was there, but you didn't get to see it. It's an interesting opinion. Let's keep going. All right. While a fair number of predictions reportedly put forward by the Asperomancer are admittedly rather vague, such as regime change in countries around the world and turmoil in the Middle East reaching a breaking point, she did provide a few particularly specific prognostications. I love, there's going to be turmoil in the Middle East. You don't say. There will be a war somewhere. Oh, good. Good people in places will hate each other for bad reasons. There'll be a mass shooting in the United States. Oh, God. Undoubtedly, her most eyebrow-raising forecast for 2024 is that the United States will have its first female president. Oh, God. And it won't be Kamala Harris. I'm sorry. I read ahead. (laughs) Chris, don't read ahead. intriguingly she later revealed to british news outlet that it won't be kamala harris which would seem to pretend an election victory for gop candidate nikki haley maybe it's some magic woman that hasn't been foretold to us yet well yeah that's that's a possibility but i don't know the the republican primary has already kicked off and the only woman there is nikki haley right that's right so we don't really have any other options besides kamala yeah yeah, I'm thinking maybe a uh, maybe an Ishtar comes down oh. and rules a new Babylon. That would be cool. Or like a former Atlantean queen rises from the sea and takes over. I'm down for that. All good predictions. Yeah, these these are all great. Packington also hinted that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will wind up separating in 2024. Thank God. I love that harry and markle ended up in her predictions so that's just such a thing and that the british hate Meghan markle so much that that that's just a crowd pleaser yeah that's yeah. all it is they all want their harry back and it's like <laughs> give it to him give him harry back dude we don't want him like i want I some ask. ginger brit running around america dude are you kidding me I don't want any Brits in America, really. Uh, get out, dude. We we independenced from y'all. Get out. I don't even want to think about royalty. Other predictions offered by the Asperomancer for the new year included a downturn in the popularity of celebrities and influencers, a lessening of the stigma surrounding mental health, and hard times for public figures exposed as criminals as well as very well-paid TV personalities who will find themselves being fired. That just feels like nor- a normal week. Yeah, that's uh, currently happening now. All she's doing is, like, tr- seeing trends. Yeah, someone rich did something bad, and uh, someone's going to get fired. Like, yeah, well, okay. And th- but, you know, she's, like, trying to go off the vibe, though, because it's like, well, Hollywood isn't going to have as much influence as it's had. And it's like, yeah, Hollywood's influence has been waiting for the last five, ten years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As for how Packington's forecast for 2023 ultimately fared, one British media outlet combed over the UK-centric list and found that 11 and a half of her 20 predictions wound up being largely accurate. We have to go to this list. Let's find the list first. Because I'm also curious what largely accurate means. Because that sounds like it wasn't right. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. That that sort of got half. (laughs) Yeah, that was strange how they put that. Um, Let's see. All right. The Lioness will bring the Women's World Cup home. And Serena Wegman will be awarded an honorary damehood. Uh, This did, did not happen. 
did what else do we happen? got? Gareth Southgate will receive an award in His Majesty's New Year's Honors. Also did not happen. Did not happen. Okay, these are boring. What else yeah, do we got? The government will hang on, but will be ever under increasing pressure to crip the economy. Further devaluation of the pound will not be acceptable. Tougher, tougher one, it seems. Yeah, somewhat, I mean. So that's a somewhat right. I guess, because, I mean, inflation halved this year for the UK, but, like, they marked it as correct, but that's kind of a yeah. tough one. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Um, people will become savvier with food shortages on the horizon. Rationing may be considered. They gave this a half correct. There was no food rationing, but people did get a bit smarter about buying stuff. These kind of yeah. suck. These are terrible. First of all, awful predictions. Yeah. Like, is this what the British are talking about? No wonder their empires crumbled. Yeah, well, I mean... I, I, my, I, my baked beans in the morning, I've had to become a little bit more intelligent with those. And the I white mean, to, toast is different. To be fair, I spent last night watching a show called Is It Cake with my wife, so I don't know if I'm that much better than the British at this point. Well, that's you personally. Not all Americans are like you. Some of us are doing productive things with our time, like playing Fortnite. Can I just say, Is It Cake is a great show, though. I do recommend it. Um, <laughs> it's silly. It's so silly. <laughs> it's really enjoyable. But, Chris, that will be our article for today. You ready for some housekeeping? Absolutely. Support the show at Coast to Coast PM's Patreon. That is patreon.com slash Coast to Coast PM. It is the exact URL that you would think it would be. You can sign up as little as $2 a month to help us pay our podcasting bills and keep us on the air. Uh, you can reach out to Chris on Reddit, our Coast to Coast PM. Check out that subreddit. We got hundreds of people there. Hundreds have signed up for the subreddit already. You can reach out to me at c2cpmpod at gmail.com. That will be in the show notes. And all those other links will be in the show notes as well. Did I miss anything? You got it. I love it. Let's get to the show, Chris. Ian Punnett's interview with Peter Lavinda from October 19th, 2019. I dug back a little bit because I wanted to get like a fun one that I knew that we would both be into. And Lovecraft is definitely up our alley. Yeah, dude. Big Lovecraft fan. All of the old Coasternauts will know that for every October, I do Spooktober, in which I've been reading a compilation of both Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft. So very excited to hear this guy who you've led me to believe actually thinks H.P. Lovecraft was telling the truth. He thinks H.P. Lovecraft is directionally accurate. Directionally, oh, that's my so, favorite phrase. I figured that you would like that because he's he's not necessarily saying that there is a Cthulhu out there. Right. There are Cthulhu-like things yes. out there. Yes. Yes. All right. So let's get into it. I do want to start off, though, because this guy's written a lot of books. And it's one of my favorite thing about Coast Guests is that they all write an enormous number of books. Uh, Peter Lavenda, I know... I asked you this question the last time you were on, but I think that was three books ago. So exactly how many books have you either authored or co-authored? Wow. Um, I think it's about 20 by now. Oh, gosh. I'm surprised it's not higher because I was going through your Amazon page and I was like, oh, didn't know about that one. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot, especially in the last uh, 10 or 12 years. I've put out uh, a book or two a year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's been it's been pretty hectic. And, you know, getting involved with the Tom DeLonge stuff as well, added another three books. Exactly. Prolific writer. And he name dropped Tom DeLonge <laughs> in that clip, Paul. That's that's too much stuff in one clip. He he wrote a trilogy with Tom DeLonge. About what? Aliens, I guess. Aliens. <laughs> if I had to take one guess, aliens and how the government's covering it up. Yeah, no, it's it's a uh, it's a baking book. Actually, it's yeah, all about bread, yeah, Chris. Yeah, the first one's uh, baking. The second one's gardening for your baking. Third it's one's so, mycology. The books are called Gods, Man, and War, 
An exceptional examination that plays the role of an intellectual Indiana Jones, expertly guiding readers through crumbling vine-laden Mayan temples. The stunning iconography of the ancient Egypt and esoteric creation myths of the antediluvian India, Africa, and China. Written by Open Minds 2017 UFO researcher and year and critically acclaimed producer Tom DeLong with renowned researcher Peter Lavinda. Oh, so it's kind of like a adventure story. Dude, we if we ever do a a real sit-down book club, that's gotta be high up on the first series that we do of in the book club. That may be number one because I really want to read this guy's books. <laughs> yeah, this sounds incredible. They sound really fun. That sounds crazy and would be totally up my alley. Yeah, so we'll we'll check it out. But let's get into some of his ideas, Chris, because what a lot of this hangs on is the idea that there are sinister forces out there. So he talks a little bit about that and what it means. You maintain that sinister forces are real. Define sinister forces. Yeah, that's actually not easy to do. Um, we can sort of define it through the act, the actions or the, the evidence for their existence. Um, sinister forces is a kind of a trope. I mean, it's been used as a phrase, as a catchphrase by a lot of different people, political people quite often, or military leaders um, have used the term sinister forces when they want to to draw your attention to something they can't quite put their their hands around or their head around, but they know it's there. Um, I think it was one of our generals, it was MacArthur, it wasn't it, or um, who talked about the sinister forces of some other planetary galaxy coming, uh, yeah. that we have to be defend ourselves against that in the future. Um, sinister forces, even in the, the Pink Panther movies, are, you know, are referenced. Um, there's this sort of idea that there's something dark and mysterious, but behind just sort of right out of sight, sort of just off stage, you know, not quite visible, but there. And we can we can understand what they are through their activity in our world. Um, weird coincidences of things that shouldn't really take place, uh, things that don't make any sense if we look at science and if we look at time. All right, so he's just building, there's a there's a paranormal element here that we can't understand some unknown force and there are evil aspects to this force. Yeah. There basically, yeah, that there's this esoteric thing that we can sort of tap into and see the effects of, right. but we can't understand it, which is a lot of what HP Lovecraft wrote about with totally. the elder gods. Yes. So what uh, would you like an example, Chris? And I think you're going to like this example. The JFK assassination. Perfect, perfect example of a sinister force. Rudimentary ways. If you think of time as being purely linear, um, none of the stuff that happens makes sense because there seems to be um, the actions of these sinister forces can be traced, but you go crazy trying to draw connections. As an example, um, the, the Kennedy assassination is one of the seminal you know, events of my lifetime. Sure. Um, so that happened in 1963. And yet there was a Belgian mystic who won the Nobel Prize for Literature, a guy called Maurice Maeterlinck, who wrote a play called The Cloud That Lifted. And it's been very rarely performed, but I read it. I read the play. It had been published. And in this play, Maeterlinck has uh, a king being assassinated by shots that are fired from a grassy knoll by a guy called Alec who fires maybe three shots, maybe more. And the rumor was that he was working for Mother Russia, hmm. right? The whole assassination idea, even including Alec, because Alec was Lee Harvey Oswald's pseudonym, Alec Hidel, when he bought his rifles, through his Amalekar Carcano through the mail. Um, all of that sort of came together in this play that was published before Kennedy was even born. Yeah, but Lee Harvey Oswald was a patsy. Well, Chris, so it's not a, according it's to a, this, because... It's the awful example. Terrible example. It's a, that's a... It's not a, It doesn't even line up to what happened to Kennedy, so... What do you think happened to Kennedy? Well, it was a, a combination of the CIA, Bush, the Bush family, crime syndicate, 
and the mob working together to assassinate him. But do you think Lee Harvey Oswald shot him, or do you think that it was someone else's spooks? It's possible. It's possible that he also took a shot. That is a good point, though, because it doesn't line up with what happened because Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't in the grassy knoll. The second shooter would have been in the grassy knoll. Right, exactly. But what I do like about that is the idea that these sinister forces transverse, like, space and time. Of course. That is cool. It's... Funnily enough, it's very close to South Park's imagination land. Like anything that I create and I write down and share with other people and it goes into your imagination, it's now in the collective mimetic sphere. Like that ability can now pass. Once it is passed from one human to another, it can go viral. The idea can go viral. But the idea... Is this goes viral back in time, right? And exactly because it's it's always there. It's always there. Once it's been spread to humanity, it is always there. And again, this can be positive or this can be negative. And those negative prehistoric, like pre-Earth even forces are there and i think humans can penetrate it sometimes we may do it accidentally we may do it on purpose but those ideas these memes can be penetrated and again it becomes when you stare into the abyss what stares back at you so what you're saying is our thoughts are in a way fifth dimensional a hundred percent i think that's the first time that we've referenced imagination land on this podcast i'm kind of shocked by that Right. But it, it, it is kind of an imagination land. And there is probably kind of a there's a dark imagination land and there's beautiful imagination land and there's, you know, sexy and horny and there's, you know, hungry, all the things, different types of imagination lands. Well, Chris, what uh, what he wants to draw a distinction to as well, which I think you've already kind of cleared up pretty well, but. Uh, he wants to talk about how sinister forces are different from like secret societies or the Illuminati and stuff like that. And that's why I've had a lot of problems with people who, you know, make all of these um, characterizations of secret societies and vast conspiracies, you know, of international cabals doing all this stuff, because that's not really the way it works. And I've been around people like that and groups of that nature, you know, secret societies, occult orders and stuff. Since I was in my teens, I just came across some correspondence uh, that I had in, in 1965 when I was 15. So from that time on, I've been actively you know, reading and searching and talking to people and, and uh, talking to groups and, and doing all of that. And that's just not the way it works, and, and it, it works a little differently. It's not this international cabal. I mean, secret societies fight with each other more than anything else. Um, there's really no great right. organization among them. You know, there's no vast conspiracy. It's a bunch of little groups that fight with each other and claim all sorts of things that they don't they don't have or wisdom they don't have or degrees they don't have and, to make themselves look look bigger than they really are. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So it's it's more like if you go back to Lovecraft again. You know, Lovecraft talks about these little individual groups all over the world. For instance, in the Call of Cthulhu. He talks about groups that he calls them theosophists in one case, which I'm sure the Theosophical Society would didn't not. appreciate. <laughs> yeah, but you've got that. You've got other little groups here and there, uh, and sometimes individuals like the individual, like the artist in the Call of Cthulhu, who starts, you know, sculpting or painting, drawing images of Cthulhu. So I'm right in line with Peter with what we're talking about. You're just you're on it. I'm on it. Yeah. See, this is the problem with the Ian Punnett interview sometimes is that you're just like, yeah, I agree. That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. yeah Peter, you got it. it. Yeah. All right. Not bad. And, Not bad. And Ian always asks the follow-up questions that you're thinking as well. That's why I loved him is because I'd be like, wait, that doesn't make sense. And Ian would call it out. Um, but he also teases out some really interesting um, tidbits like that. But I, I did love his explanation of secret societies as kind of lame because they're kind of lame. They are. lame, And I, I was in one in college and it was kind of lame, to be honest, it was pretty lame. 
I've always, I've said this for, it's just theater kids. It was, it was, it starts with elites being bored, very rich yeah. people being bored and being like, well, let's dress up and, and play magic. And that and I is think... 95% of all secret societies. It's bored, rich people playing magic. I think like in 1880, it would have been cooler where everyone was really into like spirits and the esoteric as a society. But I just feel like it's so much more lame now. Like we're too materialist and it's just not cool. It was probably pretty lame back then, but I think it's substantially yeah. more lame now. Oh, I agree with that completely. But again, we just kind of got to put ourselves back in that time. I mean, they were like dressing up in masks and capes and talking about Roman gods and weird mythology. I mean, it's nerd stuff. Yeah, masturbating in front of owls. It's nerd stuff. Mostly a lot of jerking off in front of your buddies. They really like doing that. that. They exciting. really liked doing that for some reason. And it, I don't get it. The, the, the Mesopotamians and stuff liked the public sex as religious happening maybe there's something to it i'm just i don't know i i guess i wasn't born into that kind of hedonistic culture that many of our elites have where they don't have any morals and they don't have any spiritual beliefs and they're dead inside and everything is just meant to be used and they're leeches that suck the life force out of everything i just don't have that inside me yeah, and, and to be clear, I never engaged in any sort of public masturbation or witnessed public masturbation, so I just wanted to make that clear during my yeah. secret society time. Yeah, I was going to say the NDA, they made you sign at Cal Burke. <laughs> <laughs> the, the blood pact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's pretty much like written on your soul, right? Like, I never did any cum stuff. That's the first oath you have to take. Is that you, yeah. can't, you yeah. can't share that? And you were doing um, it no, every no, day, pretty much. You were doing it every day. Let's change the subject. <laughs> Back to Lovecraft, Chris. So let's talk about Lovecraft being kind of racist. I was going to so, say he was kind of racist <laughs> and very much a homophobe. So uh, yeah. And actually, kind of racist is an understatement. That's a huge understatement. He was very racist. So Ian asks him, because they, they're talking a little bit about how Lovecraft sees evil, right? And the idea of, like, is evil based on someone having evil intent? Or is it based off of, like, the repercussions of your actions? I may not have intended it, but it was, you know, still evil. So basically what even Ian's talking about is, like, how do you deal with this racism along, you know, his his books, and his general ideas of evil and, and kind of what, what can you take away from him? No, it, 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 Lovecraft is an, an awkward um, inspiration in that conversation for me, in a way, because of so much, obviously his racism was so profound and he was um, completely focused on white Anglo-Saxon Protestants in particular, the waspy notion of some perfect past, sure. um, something that we attained, and that's why any person of color or Jews or even Catholics or, or you know, Slavs or anybody, they were a threat to the white purity as he saw it. And so that, that analogy he created about uh, the other races and, and how they are, um, they are mixed race, they're muddy, uh, they are, they're not pure, the opposite of what we had once been. I, I mean, I, I think we, it's hard to look at that and say that he had true insight onto what is good or evil um, because of his own lens was so colored with such, um, such cruelty to, to people who aren't him, to the other. Um, can you touch on that? Heavy question by Ian. I'm telling you, he brings the heavy hitters. I had to put a pause there just so we could absorb the question for Let's a second. Let's absorb the question. Can you be a thought provider on morality if your morals are messed up? 
Yeah, or that, that questionable because he wasn't just like a little racist. He was like full on racist. You know doesn't, what I mean? He leaned into it. Doesn't he become much less racist over time though? There, I think there is an argument made by some people that he eased up, but I don't know if there's a ton of evidence for it. His most racist writings where he actually like wrote aggressively racist materials, I think mm-hmm. were when he was younger, but I don't I don't know exactly what they base that off of. Um, you know, so, it's also pretty funny about all that, too, is that he was like a New Englander and a really poor New Englander. Right. So it's like, how did you become so racist? I don't it's like just, you preaching know, racism. Yeah. And but it it is a difficult thing with Lovecraft because I do love his mythos. I think it's awesome, but it is That's difficult totally to contend crazy. with. Right some of the stuff that he has written because it's it's awful um but the world that he crafted of these like elder gods who we can't even fathom or comprehend who could literally just squash our planet if they wanted to is a really terrifying concept that has inspired a lot of horror work so that's just something i've always had difficulty with lovecraft where it's just like separating the man from the work almost i was gonna say can you love the art and not the artist? And I just want to believe you can. I really want to believe you can love the art and not the artist. Michael Jackson's music. Love it. Would I have wanted to allow my children to stay at Michael Jackson's house? Never. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Well, Chris, do you want to hear what Peter's... (laughs) Would I let H.P. Lovecraft raise my children? No. Not going to happen. Am I going to read his scary stories at Halloween? Absolutely. And guess what? I'm going to stay away from the most racist stuff. Well, the racist stuff are labeled, this is racist, essentially. You'll know in the short story. You'll know. (laughs) You'll know pretty quick. You'll know from the (laughs) title. (laughs) It's not easy to avoid them. I'm and the also, H- they don't publish them. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't I'm put H- them in the, the anthologies. I'm H.P. Lovecraft, and this is super racist. <laughs> That's basically H. what he did. Lovecraft. That's basically what he did. Um, all right, so let's hear Peter's response to that question. No, sure. I mean, I have no problem at all with what, with what you're saying. He was definitely... A racist. There was no no way out of it, and people have tried to kind of explain that away right. by saying, "Well, he was a product of his yeah, time." I know. You know, but I have a real problem with that. Yeah, that you know, doesn't fly because that's just not true. There were a lot no. of people at that time who were fighting against racism, who were fighting against discrimination of any kind. It wasn't like this was a brand new concept. You know, uh, in 1927 or whenever, you know, he was flourishing as a writer. So, yes, he had to have been conscious of the fact that his point of view on things was it was, well, bordered on evil itself. Right. So, you know, uh, so your point that he's not a good uh, person to go to for a moral argument, I agree 100 percent. But I think when we're talking about evil, are we only talking about evil from the perspective of human morality? Or are we talking about evil, for instance, again, is intention that crucial to our definition of evil? As I say, a child born with a terminal illness. Right. There's no intention there that we can see. There's, you know, as it says in the Bible, what what sin did this man commit right. or his parents that he should be born blind? Right. Even in the, in the New Testament 2,000 years ago, they were struggling with this concept. That yeah. there's evil and there's a different kind of evil. There's like a, a an evil of a different category of things that are so hateful and evil that happen to humans over which they have no control. Not their biases, their prejudices, not their, their violent instincts or anything else, just evil that just happens. And right. where does that come from? I don't know if this is the point that Peter was trying to make, but it's in a thought that came into my head. Wouldn't you want to go to an evil bastard to understand evil? That's a good point. I think... Like, are you, you going to would... ask the nicest person you know how to be mean? Yeah, but I think it's different if you're like, are we accepting his ideology of evil, or are we using him to understand evil? Because, like, yeah, if you go to... um, I don't know. 
Charles is Charles Manson dead yet? I don't know. Probably. I don't know. Go to him to try and like understand evil would make sense, but not accept what his foundations are. It's more like using his ideas of how he sees the world to inform your decision potentially. Does that make sense? So right. So I wouldn't believe that the Beatles were telling me to go murder people because there was a uh, race war about to happen and we were to go underground once the race war happened and then we would come back up and repopulate the earth. I don't believe that, but I am going to learn from how he got other people to believe that even though that's not really what they believed it was all made up by a lawyer so you see what we've done you can't believe anybody in anything because we're all immoral there is no reality chris it's all what we decided is in our own little brains um but i i think it's interesting because I, I think what he was saying was you know, Ian's concern is that Lovecraft was kind of defining evil as this like other outside thing that's scary and we can't control it. And he was drawing a parallel right. to the racism right. of Lovecraft of like these other groups are are bad yeah. and I should be scared. It goes of them hand versus, in hand, right? It goes hand yeah. in hand. Yeah. Versus Peter, who's basically saying, like, no, we can separate out the racism from the sinister forces because it's like a completely different esoteric giant thing. So I don't know if I totally agree with that, but I, you know, it's it was a fine answer, I think. It's the same fear, it's just colored difference, right? Yeah. Quite literally, too. Yeah. Well, and then also he has the color of outer space, which is where our color comes down. Ooh, man, wait, I'm rethinking some of these stories now. I'm telling you. It's I think they're I think the oh, race. Shit. Yeah, dude. I think the race stuff may be pretty integrally tied to everything love oh god now i think it may oh. pretty pretty much be all pretty darn racist all right i'm gonna have to deal with this at a later time let's keep going through let's keep I, going I, through I, this Chris. yeah i think he may be talking about immigrants and people of color the whole entire time maybe oh shit all right well all right let's keep going uh, what do sinister forces want, Chris? Let's find that out. When we say a sinister force, what is the intent of the sinister force? What is the, again, not anthropomorphizing it, not playing it out like it's, you know, a, a schmirsch or you know anything that, uh, right. right? But what is the intent of the sinister force? What's its motive? I, th I think the, the reason why it, we consider it sinister is because we don't know the motive. And because we don't know the motive, we don't know where it's going to lead us, right? We don't know if we're going to benefit or we're going to be the victims of it. That's why, it's, that's why we call it sinister. It's something that's powerful, it's menacing, and it's in our world, and we can't control it. You know, or we don't know if we can control because we don't know enough about it. But we know it's here, it's moving through our reality, and it's causing these changes to take place. But because that force operates on a different level than we do, we cannot anticipate the outcome. And if we can't anticipate the outcome, we can't thwart it, or can we? How do we thwart it? The only way to thwart it is the way that's probably the most dangerous of all, and that is to understand it. And the only way to understand it is to somehow bring yourself to that level, bring yourself through so that you make contact with it or you, you make contact with its world, um, which has been the goal of occultists and magicians, you know, down through the, through the ages. The idea of we know that it's there. How do we make contact? How do we understand it? Can we manipulate it? I, I disagree that we can't understand what its motives are. Do you think that we can we can figure it out? Absolutely. Or I think it's I think it's very simple. I think it's the same as a cancer or a virus. It's to produce, to spread, to feed. Like that's it, it's it's going to be look at all the the seven deadly sins. Like all those, right? It's all about like 
getting you more of bad stuff. And so that's that's the motive. Yeah, but what what I like about that idea from a story perspective, right? If we're just thinking about like Lovecraft and telling stories as opposed to reality, is that a being that we can't fully comprehend, we can't understand its motives is freaking terrifying. Yeah. And it's the same reason why in horror movies, which I love, I love scary movies, they are only scary up until the third act hits and you see the bad ghost or the bad ghoul and it becomes tangible and they like figure out how to fight it. And once it's tangible like that, and once you understand its motives um, and you can actually see it and they can interact with it, it's substantially less scary. But when it stays esoteric and it stays unknowable, and I think that's what Lovecraft did, was that these things were never really, you know, revealed in his writing. He never really understood, like, what was going on or how to beat something, and it wasn't really possible to beat these things. Um, and that's what gave it so much weight and what makes him terrifying. I agree in the literary sense, that's what Lovecraft was doing, but we're trying to take Lovecraft and apply it to the real world. Then in the real world, yes, I would say if there's a sinister force out there, which I don't necessarily believe there is, Chris, but if there were to be one, probably we could figure out, especially if we could tap into it, like he's saying. What's dark energy, dude? What's dark matter? Cthulhu spreading the universe out so we go dark. Thank you. He wants Earth to go dark one day, which it will. We will well, no longer be able to see whole, the stars one day. He wants the whole universe to go dark. Yep, exactly. So that's what that is. Um, but he talks a little bit about occultists he interviewed, Chris. And this is where he gets a lot of these ideas about the fact that sinister forces actually exist. What you came away with was the experience of the other um, was uh, not that different from group to group. Um, their rituals were different. Their theologies were different. Their ideologies were different. Um, but when it came to actually having a confrontation with the other, whatever you may want to call it, gods, demons, or or spiritual forces, or whatever, um, the re reactions were pretty much the same. You could have set up a situation in which, if you were involved in one of the witchcraft covens in those days, you were uh, worshiping a horned god and a, and a lunar goddess, right? These were the two, the two primary forces that were being invoked. And that could start off very sort of nicely, almost in a bewitched kind of way, uh, or bell, book, and candle kind of way. And then eventually it would right. get darker, and there would be a presence. And I got this in different places from different groups. There would be a presence. There would be suddenly a, everything would shift. There would be a change in the atmosphere. A horned god and a lunar goddess. Is it bad that I want to experience a sinister force like that? I kind of want to see if the room temperature and the pressure changed. That's kind of baller. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I've never had my God do that. No, I want to sit down in the middle of a giant spooky pentagram made of chalk and salt with a bunch of black candles around me. And I want someone to bring up a horned God. Yeah. Or the Is that too goddess? much to ask from the world? The lunar goddess. Actually, that's probably better. Pretty nice. Yeah. I should go lunar goddess or like Atlantean queen. I should probably keep it safe. Yeah, keep it keep it safe. But all it would be interesting. It would be an interesting experience. I'll say that much. Yeah. Well, Chris, uh, now that we know a little bit more about Peter, do you want to hear from some callers? yeah what what did the callers have to say about all this i can't imagine that we're either gonna get people who are super into it or kind of ticked off yeah so with our first one is curious about whether it was dangerous to infiltrate cults but in coast to coast caller fashion they get a little lost in the question so let's listen into that one of uh, Robbie the Robot, I believe, too, right? East of the Rockies, Joe is in Long Island on Coast to Coast AM. Joe? Peter, two quick things. Uh, one, you know, in the 70s, you're around these people, which is uh, Satanists, maybe. Once they identify you as a non-participant, are they going to direct some uh, ire towards you for not participating? And then uh, with 
movies such as Game of Thrones, all right? Uh, there's people that are sinister walking all over people, but they don't seem to identify the players. Like Ariel uh, stabbed a uh, 10-year-old girl, I believe that was the character, stabbed the guy. You know, they would never anticipate someone like that doing that. So, so they seem to miscalculate within their sinisterness as to who might do what in return. And the thing at the end, it was at the very end of that movie was interesting. First, the, uh, they couldn't get out. The helicopters, you know, didn't work. And then the electricity went off. And now the, uh, the, the weather, it's going 200 below, and they just, you know, have that face off, and they're just looking at each other. And you know the ending is not going to be that either one of them makes it. <laughs> okay. Peter? Uh yeah, I guess I'm trying to figure out um, what I should respond to <laughs> in that. It's okay. Um, We've got some other people who are hanging on. Being around, being around, but, but one thing I can respond to is being around those people that, and not joining uh, any of these groups or these organizations. They knew uh, from the get-go that I, I wasn't going to, right? But I was around constantly, so they just got used to me. Um, and, you know, we had very good, intelligent conversations and all of that. So it, it was not a question of you know, them holding themselves aloof from me or me holding myself aloof from them. I hung out with all of these people. I just simply didn't join their organizations, and they didn't seem to hold that against me. <laughs> Chris, are you okay? Chris is having a laughing fit. Oh, my God. <laughs> Chris had to mute himself. Peter, please. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even do it, dude. I can't even do it. Have you seen the new Willy Wonka? It's a little kid. He doesn't look anything like Gene Wilder. How sinister is this? Hugh Grant is the Oompa Loompa. Peter, what I love is this sinister. He's talking about Game of Thrones and Arya and getting all the names wrong and then starts talking about helicopters and I'm like, what's going know. on? Where the, At the end of that movie came from? <laughs> the movie, uh, At the end of the movie, the helicopters weren't working, I'm telling you. Peter, Peter, listen here. I was watching television the other day. <laughs> God bless Peter, though, dude. The guy actually is sort of a pro because he was like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to respond to. And he's like, wait, there was actually a question there in there at some point. At Brought it back. And then he was just like, that's okay. We'll move on. I am still confused on where the second question was. The, it, he didn't get there. I think he got cut off by Ian because Ian was like, this guy's making no sense. I was watching the television show Entourage. And it's about these four young guys. Peter, have you seen this? They're sinister. <laughs> so that was that was our first caller. Um, we got another caller, though, that said that they witnessed the evil entity, Chris. Ooh. So let's find out how that went. Ghost AM. Joe? Okay, thank you, Ian. Um, Peter, great work. I would like to uh, – well, I've had encounters, um, too many to, to, to enumerate. And I ran into that uh, sinister force, that evil presence. It's a dark power, and it is evil. It is definitely evil. And this is what they call the crossroads in music. When you go down to the crossroads, you meet with this power. It is evil, and you make a choice in your life, one way or the other. Okay, I am in the light. I am not of evil. Now, as far as E.T. or aliens from another planet... Um, yes, uh, myself and two other people, we are healers. We are in a battle against this evil. And they say, and my guide verifies this, that there is a sinister force, an evil force, that is, that is in control of this planet. You are right when you say, yeah, it's everywhere. It okay. is true. And as far as AI, okay, it's a machine. And a bigger machine will take over the little machine. And the big machine is alien. I mean, we're talking negative alien. These are criminals. And as one ET, as one alien explained to me, why do you separate this group and that group? We consider them all demonic. 
demonic meaning criminal. They are okay. criminals. And when a criminal does something, they harm another individual. This force obscures the light of soul. This is the definition of evil. When right. the light of soul is obscured where there is no love and that light is out, they act in accordance with and then at that point, he just cuts him off and then turns oh, it off to someone else. Right? Yep. We got it. Yep. I thought that guy was awesome. <laughs> I thought that guy What I love, it. though, he's supposed to be calling in to ask Peter a question, and he starts talking about how he's an alien healer <laughs> who interacts with demonic aliens. Peter, Peter, let me ask you a question now. I'm a, a spiritual healer that is fighting... A war against evil, Peter. Do you understand this? This is incredible. This is so incredible, Peter. Let me tell you all the incredible things I've done. Well, Chris, that will be our episode with Ian Punnett and Peter Lavinda. On a scale of one to five Cthulhu's, what do you give our boy Peter? <laughs> uh, I don't... It was... I had a lot of fun. I've I laughed so hard. I laughed so hard. But probably two, two and a half Cthulhu's. I thought I was going to enjoy this way more than I did. He just didn't really have the juice for me. Yeah, I'm going to give it uh, two Cthulhu's as well. I really like the guy. I want to read his books, but I wanted more Cthulhu in the interview. I wanted more Lovecraft. It was more... You know, Lovecraft started as like a jumping off point, but we just never really got to much yeah. Lovecraft. And yeah. that's why I was here. When Lovecraft's in the title, I wanna I wanna hear some Lovecraft. Lovecraft's a tough cookie to crack. I mean, if you if you aren't well versed in Lovecraft, it's easy to go to the well, he's like super racist, right? And yeah. then it's like, yeah, he's pretty pretty racist. And then it's kind of, and that's and that's the, <laughs> I'm I'm the conversation. <laughs> yeah, and then you're done. Well, it was, it was like, yeah, Hitler he did a lot of bad stuff, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did do a lot of bad stuff. What? What kind of analogy is that? <laughs> that Jefferson Davis believed some wild stuff. Are you? This is, yeah. All right. <laughs> pretty wild. I, I don't think we're defending Mein Kampf, though, versus us reading Call of Cthulhu. I think it's, there's a bit of a difference between Lovecraft and Hitler. That Paul Pot Jesus was Christ. a goofy guy, wasn't he? <laughs> I'm going to have to cut this off now. I was going to have some more banter at the end of this episode, but you're going off the rails. That Mao Zedong had a couple of strange beliefs, huh? Hey, say what you want about Mussolini. The trains ran on time. I'll tell you what. Well, Chris, I guess that's the episode. Do you have any final thoughts here? Uh, that I, is that are not dictator related. <laughs> I'm still going to keep on doing my Spooktober routine. This didn't really change if I was going to stop it or do it. So take that, Coaster Nuts. All right. Well, that has been this episode of Coast to Coast PM. We will be back with more Coast next week. Thank you for listening. And Ian, we love you, man. Uh, we hope your family is uh, is doing okay. God bless. All conspiracy, all the time. Later. <laughs>